0: Hello, accountants and financial planners. Welcome to In the Slipstream FM, the podcast designed to help you run a better business. We've got a very timely episode in store for you today. I'm Scott Charlton from Slipstream Group, and in today's show, we're going to delve into cyber security, particularly as it relates to professional service firms like yours and mine. We've all seen from a distance that large organisations have been affected by cyber breaches. Perhaps like me, you had to line up to get a replacement driver's license as a result of the Optus situation. I might add that this is years after I ceased to be an Optus customer. Just why was my data still on Optus' system, I wonder? <laughs> but it's not just large organisations that are at risk. Unfortunately, it's businesses like yours and mine that are also vulnerable to cyber attack. This is precisely why I've interviewed a hands-on expert in today's discussion. Quite simply, we all need to arm ourselves with knowledge about what we should be doing. Then, after the main interview is finished, stay around because I'm going to share with you a system I've found very helpful for achieving one's business and personal goals. Let's get started.
1: Now here's some great ideas for your firm, where we're all about success on your terms. Get the knowledge, the tools and insights from special guests. Everything you need to become your very best. So come and build the business of your dreams. Settle in and listen now to In The Slipstream.
0: and welcome back. Today's guest is Fraser Jack from the Cyber Collective who specializes in helping professional service firms with cybersecurity. I've been looking forward to the conversation because the subject is just so topical. I've seen at close quarters the devastating impact a cyber breach can have on a professional services firm. Be it accounting or financial planning, The consequences of having intimate financial details of one's clients posted on the dark web are considerable and ongoing. Now, I don't think one can ever truly consider themselves totally bulletproof, but it certainly provides comfort in knowing that you have done everything possible to make your firm a smaller target. Come and I'll introduce you to Fraser. I'm sure we're in for an interesting discussion. I started the interview by asking Fraser why obliging team members can present a cybersecurity issue.
1: I still see the oh, obliging team members. See, this is the thing. All of our team members are obliging, aren't they? They're very yes. hospitable. Uh, all of our team members love our clients. They want to do the best thing. Um, and unfortunately, from a cybersecurity point of view, that's a massive risk because uh, very often they will be wanting to do things. They will be doing things quickly um, because they want to be efficient. And they will click on things thinking it might be from the client, Where, uh, especially with emails, for example, where they will go, whoops, that wasn't from the client. we just <laughs> of that transaction or done that thing, trying to be very hospitable and do the right thing. Um, but generally speaking, in the cybersecurity world, it's the humans that are the link between uh, that generally are the link between issues.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I, I guess that sort of sets the scene for what we're going to cover today. It's sort of like some some practical things that we need to do to be aware of of um, do's and don'ts. So um, I guess by way of sort of opening up the discussion to varying degrees. Most of us have begrudgingly admitted that this is an issue. Uh, you know, we we might have tut uh, tutted with with Russians hacking into the U.S. elections, or we we might have sort of thought, oh, I'm glad I'm not with MediBank Private. But, oh gosh, I'm with Optus, and it, it's it's sort of become more more real. Um, so what inherent characteristics are there in small businesses which make them particularly vulnerable to cyber attacks?
1: Yeah, I think you you just mentioned the first one, the uh, surely it couldn't happen to me scenario. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm just a small business. Why would anybody want to attack me? And uh, you're absolutely right. That's generally the uh, – it's a little bit confusing. It's a little bit confronting um, and so, therefore, I'd rather just get on with my day job and have my yes. clients, and look after look after my business and my staff and all the other all of the, the other pressing needs that uh, business owners have. Um, and generally speaking, there, so the cybersecurity thing just sort of gets pushed to the back, and, and you know, we just hope and fingers crossed, and surely, <laughs> surely we can fly under the radar. But unfortunately, that's not the case with most uh, professional services firms because financial professionals hold such incredible information and data about their clients on on a small business system, effectively, and they make sure they might be in 365 and in the cloud and doing all these other things, but essentially they're a small business with low levels of security, uh, with generally untrained staff in this situation, uh, and the 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 diamonds that they hold on behalf of their clients, and when I say diamonds, I'm talking about the client's data. Yes, and uh, go with me on this analogy. It's a, okay. it's a bit of a long one, but go with me on this one. Uh, so what I say to people is if you've got, um, you know, the, the 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 cost, the, sorry, the, the lifetime value of a client being, yes. you would probably know that. You probably yes. help your clients with those things. Yes. Understanding the lifetime value of a client. Would that lifetime value of a client be equivalent to a precious gemstone? Sure. Would it be equivalent to a diamond, for example? So yep. if you could think about that, from a physical point of view if your clients were giving you a diamond which is what they're doing they're going to give yeah. you the value of a diamond with their data and their information and their trust in you how would you secure that physical diamond would you would you for example ask them to post it to you in the mail <laughs> uh, or would you create a secure transfer process where they're actually physically putting in that that diamond in your hand and you you're then safekeeping and your staff are safekeeping those clients diamonds in your vault and if you think about it from a physical property point of view, we probably behave differently in the world of zeros and ones and data, thinking, oh, it's just data, you know, surely mm-hmm. it can't be that that important. But if we think about it from a precious gemstone point of view, that this is the the trust and the lifetime value of our client that we're protecting, then you can think about it in a different way. And you can just come at it from a slightly different angle.
0: Great analogy. <laughs> All right. So I'd like to uh, explore a few critical areas of how a professional practice works and, and sort of maybe you can sort of give us either some examples and and or some particular things that sort of why this might be an issue. Uh, so let's start with the, the most basic, I guess, uh, e- emails. How, how might they present a cybersecurity issue?
1: Yeah, email's a wonderful tool, isn't it? When uh, when when, uh, when you think about the difference between physical post and, and email, it's so efficient, it's free, it does all these things. But if we think about how email was set up in the first place, um, actually, we'll go back a little, bit, step, a little bit further than that. We all know how stale mail works. We write a letter. We put the address of the person on the front, we write yeah. a, we might write our name on the back and, and we put a stamp on it, we put it in the post. Uh, now that letter gets goes through many hands along the way. So yes. it gets it goes to the, you know, the post box and or someone might take it to the post box. You might not physically yes. deliver it to the post box, for example. Somebody else might do that. Then it goes through a number of hands. Now that's highly regulated system. Now in yes. that's had hundreds of years of history and regulation. It's a federal offense to mess with the post yes so we trust in the post office and the post system to deliver our physical mail yeah uh, and we trust in it um to for no one to tamper with it or read it um, so there's a different couple a few different types of physical mail there might be a postcard for example yes which anybody can read yes. yes if they're passing it along they're looking at it they're not tampering with it but they can physically see the information then you've got a, a letter in an envelope, which is harder to read. Obviously, that was the idea. You, yes. you might put a wax stamp on it in the past, or, <laughs> or you might lick the envelope and stick it down. Yep. You're sealing that letter, and then you also have the the addition for that. where well, the next step is a, would be a registered post. So yes. you then have signatures and autograph and tracking of where this letter is. So that's a physical post. Email is very, very similar to physical posts. It was actually set up as an electronic version of the, sure. the post system. So when email was set up, they uh, needed the, 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 the servers around the world to forward on that mail. So yes. it's being sent. It's not going directly from you to your client. Yes, It's going from you to your mail server. Yes. That's the service you provide and purchase on. Yep. It might go through quite a number of other mail servers along the way. Uh, before it gets to your client's mail server or your, your recipient's mail server, and then it gets goes into their mailbox at their end. So it's, it's similar from a, from a, if you think about from a physical point of view, how that would work. Now you think about who are the servers that are delivering the mail. Now yes. they're generally set up by large corporations. They're for-profit businesses. There's no yep. regulation on it. They set them up because they want to deliver their own spam email or systems yes. around them. So... From a business point of view, there's got to be something in it for them. So why would you set up a server and deliver emails around the world? One is you're getting paid from clients, you know, hosting with you, yes. or you're spamming. So there is a for-profit business in the middle with no regulation. Yeah. Now, generally speaking, if mail is sent that way, there's the the same three levels of security. There is a postcard yeah. which you often send, and generally our emails are postcards. Yes. And they're just sent off. Uh, and and pretty much any of those anybody operating or working in those mail servers can then see or understand what our mail is. Yeah, you then got um, you then got the you know the the sealed envelope version, yes. uh, which has got some security keys on it and those sorts of things. And then you've got the registered post version, where you've got instructions about where it is and how it gets yes. treated by those mail servers. So uh, very similar to the the, the post. But if you don't have the, the security settings inside your what we call our DNS, your domain network system, yeah. then it's not telling those servers that are delivering our mail what the security um, regime should be around this this mail. And, and we can encrypt things and, and, and encrypting in the past has been we'll encrypt personal data and we send it and that's your sealed envelope version. Yes. Um, but if we want to move to what I call the registered post version of email, it's about making sure that Um, other people can't start sending emails around the world from you because what's happened in the past is, um, you know, we want to make it easy to send email. And and that's the, you know, what IT's job is, they make it easy to work, then the email gets sent. But unfortunately, if I can set up, for example, a MailChimp account or a campaign to send a bulk emails on behalf of my business, then If you can set that up, then probably I can set that up on behalf of your business as well. Or I can start pretending to send emails on behalf of you and pretending to be you. And so that could be a problem if you've got your emails locked down in your 365 that nothing comes in, so we've locked everything out. But those emails could still be going around the world, those servers. Interesting. And going to your clients, you just don't see them because you're locked your system down from your your. Uh, end where you can't see them so it's about making sure that there are instructions and rules around that your your dns sends out to the global email network that says if somebody's pretending to be me and it doesn't have this security key and this security key then delete those emails do not pass them through to the next server
0: interesting wow okay well i got more than i bargained for sorry just a short just a short answer (laughs) to your question yeah okay all right well let's uh keep the fun rolling um (laughs) Uh, what about bank account details, be they for our firm or clients' bank accounts?
1: Yeah, um well, there, there's a, there's a whole lot of things that can on their own not seem like they're they're too much of a problem. yes, um but but the whole idea of a lot of cyber incidents and hacking and and identity um fraud and and identity theft is, that you're trying to gather small bits of information over, over a period of time. And so it could be a partial this and a partial that, uh, you know, you've got an invoice and it's got a bank account detail and you've got that. Next thing, you're trying to find more information on who the CEO and the finances are and you're getting little bits of more information. So um, it's a bit like collecting pieces of a jigsaw puzzle yes. along the way. And so yes. it's, about, it's about protecting these small bits of information are important, yes, yes, but obviously you can't, if you're sending invoices to a client and they've got your, your details, um, that might be a way, but you might not be able to avoid that or get around that. Um, yeah. But the thing about the banking system is, is in Australia, and not this is not in every country in the world, but in Australia, if you've got a BSB uh, and an account number, um, then generally you don't need to have the name of the the, the firm. So if you're creating yes. a transaction from one to another, um, or you're, or you know, from a merchant from a credit card, for example, um, the banks don't check the name
0: yes the yes. account
1: so the name of the account could be completely wrong um, yes. in many of these transactions and so yes. um, in some countries in the world the banks are required to match the the name on the account yes. with the bsb but in in australia it's just if you've got the bsb and the account number then the bank says oh that's correct yes uh, yes let's, let's pay that
0: wow okay um
1: passwords passwords are a, a are a great defense and and passwords have come along um in leaps and bounds and they continue to do so so um for example you know password used to be put a password in surely no one can get it uh then passwords became very guessable with with um you know uh, what we call brute force hacking tools which essentially just guess the multiples of passwords um and so you've got the password that's one thing we've got the the multi-factor authentication or the two-factor yes. authentication, which is the next step, which is yes. very, very, very good step because it means that it's asking if it's definitely you. And by the way, multi-factor authentication doesn't just have to be with passwords. Yes. Most, uh, you know, advice firms or accounting firms, if they are, if their clients, they get a request from a client that says, can you transact some money? They'll ring the client. Effectively, that phone call is a multi-factor yes. authentication. So yes. it's, it's something that we need to have in practice, whether it's, just passwords or, or, or practices. Yes. Um, and so, multi-factor authentication just means that you, uh, you're 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 getting a second second opinion. Yes. So with passwords being long and strong, obviously, what we want to try and do is stop those brute force hacking tools guessing because yes. they have to ki- get through every combination of one, two, three, four, five, etc., and it just pushes out time. But I think uh, the 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 step here is around lot um, making sure that you're if you get the incorrect password several times, it starts locking you out of the system yes. so that those keep guessing password tools can't just keep guessing. So yes. if there's three attempts, it's wrong. It sort of says, give you five minutes. If it's, you know, another three, it might give you an hour and then and yes. it's, then you, you get to contact the admin. You know, like that's, those are the sort of things that stop yes. those, those tools. Um, passwords uh, have also are moving. So we used to have passwords where it was just a password. Then we got multi-factor. We got multi-factor from a text message, uh, SMS, yeah. which is not great because people can port your phone number to their phone over oh. and then they get the text message. Um, uh, people can also try and, you know, ring you and try and uh, attempt a, a hack. Oh, yes, did you get that authentication code? Yes, what was it, et cetera. Yes. Um, there's some some scams around that. The next level is those authenticator apps, which would really be the benchmark for most firms. I see, firms, yes. You can get onto the authenticator apps. Yes. Um, and they've all, there's a lot of them around, and most most um, softwares would allow you to use an authenticator app. And then uh, from there, they're moving to bio, biometric technology. So fingerprint ID, you know, I when see. you look at your phone and it opens up because it's recognized your face, yes. uh, all those sort of things. So generally, the banking apps, for example, at the moment, you're using facial ID um, as the second factor authentication. Wow. Okay. And so that's, that's probably the best level to get to. If you've got any apps that allow you to do that, that would be the one to, to be on. Um, and so, yeah, so passwords probably changing, um, from, well, essentially the second, um, the second factor authentication is changing. Uh, and the next thing with passwords is obviously thinking about having a system where, you know, obviously you want to get your passwords out of a spreadsheet um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and let's not point fingers because I think we all used to do it that way at some yes. point. There was a spreadsheet called passwords, and it was uh, yeah. all the passwords, and often it was printed out and handed around the office so everybody could see the <laughs> passwords. Yeah, um, and that was just you know the way it was done. And yes. uh, you know when you think about the the world of old world files, when we used to have filing cabinets full of files, yes, um, they were vulnerable to a lesser degree because they were in a physical location. And if yes. somebody from Russia or China wanted to come and steal your information, they would actually physically have to come yes. to your address to do so. Um whereas now with everything online, it's sort of we're now in one global environment and yes. You sort of open that up. So um with passwords it's about making sure that you, you utilize a, a password manager or a system yeah. where you can have long, strong passwords and you can change them regularly. So it's yes. not static. Happy new New Year, everybody! Happy new passwords. Let's go. Okay. Um, yeah. Then, then the uh, so changing them fairly regularly is is good. Uh, not you know not essential, but just a good process. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, you, you know making sure that uh, in a lot of situations, if you're an administration. Person in the in, in in the business. Now, I just want to I just want to get this administrator piece out of the way. If you're an administrator in a software package, yes, you are the top. You you are the boss. Yes. If you're an admin person in a financial planning or an accounting firm, you're probably not the boss. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and so, the, it's the opposite. If you yes. think about software admin as the opposite of the org structures that you're probably yes. used to dealing with day to day, yes, you just need to flip it on its head and realize that admin usage of a software is the boss and they get to make all the setting changes. Yes. They get full access to make critical security changes. And so generally in a larger firm or, or, or a mid-tier firm, most of the, the people that work there are all what would be called users in a software package. Very little have admin or management rights. Yes. So it's around thinking about that from a password point of view to make sure that if I'm the administrator, I might be the the cyber champion inside the business, yes. and so my job is to make sure that all of the passwords for everybody get changed, and they might not even know what the passwords are. Yes. I'll yes. change them on behalf of our um, suppliers and providers. Uh, and then I will assign those people through a through our password manager their yeah. access, and they will never actually be able to see the password. Yes. Yeah. So if somebody gets into their system, they might be able to access it through their system, but they can't see any of the passwords
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. Wow. Another
1: short answer. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
0: what about uh, tax file numbers?
1: Yeah, tax file number is an interesting one because obviously there's a little bit of legislation around storing yes. and keeping. Um, there's been there's been issues in the past where advice firms have been uh, one that I know of that has been um, uh, had been hacked and their X plan uh, was entered into and there was a lot of information being downloaded, including um, ID copies of ID and, and driver's license, etc. Yes, then um, then they managed to access their MyGov. Accounts, the, Ooh, the the personal yep. clients, like up accounts, and go back and make changes to the tax returns in the past. Yes, yes. And so then obviously, you know, the, the, that's committing a whole new level of fraud, right? You get into yes. someone's like you, you, you change their tax return. You're committing fraud against the government, not just yes. against a small business. Uh, but that's that's the brazen, you know, yeah, way wow. that these hackers work. This information, once it's out there, for a tax file number, for example, once it's out there. It's never coming back. And and, and it could be the same with um, driver's license and, and bank accounts and superannuation funds, et cetera. Yes. Once these these things are out there, they're stolen, they're made available for sale, they can be sold again and again and again. It's not like when somebody steals your car and then and yes. then you, you either do or you don't get your car back. Yes. Uh, but if you get your car back, you've got it back in your possession. Yes. Whereas a copy of somebody's tax file number, a copy of their driver's license can be out there and be sold again and again and again. So the only real way to fix that. Is to apply and change for a new numbers yes. through the system, and that's an expensive process for a business wow. to go through every single client and apply for new accounts, new tax file numbers. Yeah, so you 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 really don't want to. You really want to make sure that information is secure because you know again the, the MyGov scenarios, people getting into those accounts. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty scary.
0: That's chilling. Yes. Um, what about strangers having virtual access to our system, be it you know, on a file server or more particularly in the cloud, just wandering around the, the virtual corridors of the firm? Yeah,
1: so this, and this is a really interesting part, because if you think about you're right, the virtual, they are virtual corridors. And so when you talk about strangers, um, the, the average time that somebody will be in a system is 211 days before you find out about them. Oh, golly. <laughs> so that's seven months, right? So yeah, seven odd yeah. months of somebody being in your system, walk, walking around the corridors, having a look, gathering information in a stealth way is a pretty scary thought. And, mm. um, and and gathering information, taking information, selling information. So, you know, in the past and with a lot of small business, there was um, a ransom attack. You know, somebody would yes. get in, they'll say, give us, you know, $5,000 and over the weekend, otherwise we'll delete all your files and, you know, we yeah. won't give them back. We'll have encrypted them all or something. Um, and that's been a, a way that businesses have gathered, uh, small businesses have been attacked in the past. Yeah, But with professional service firms, with businesses that have more more rich information and data and, and layers of information that control and, and, and other people's money is the, the smash and grab or the, the the ransom is not such an attractive offer. Yes. That might come down the track once I've taken everything. Yes, I might go. Well, I've already got everything. I can. I'm selling it all. It's there's nothing left for me here. Let's just do a smash and grab and see if I'll yes. pay us. Um, but generally speaking, they would be at stealth, get in, get information. Yes. Get as I said, pick pick up a lot of pieces of the jigsaw puzzles that you can build later. Um, try and get in, and 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 the next step would be to think about how do you then trick your clients into paying. Yes. things so there's been scenarios where somebody's been sent offers from allegedly from their trusted advisor saying here yes is, here is a once in a lifetime too good to be true offer yes um but it's, it, it, it expires on friday at 5 p.m so can you or, or yes. today at 5 p.m can you get your money into me today yes. here's the account details um and people have been tricked into that oh uh, golly because they trust the person who they think yes. is sending the, yes. the information so there's yeah it's People getting into a system, looking around, um, and and generally speaking, they're getting into an email system first because email systems don't always have strong, long passwords, or they might have been set up once with a with one password and without multi-factor authentication. Yes. Um, and yeah, so it's about, and then they'll go back and through and read the information. And so when you think about email from a data storage point of view, yes. uh, And if I go back to our mail analogy, uh, email really is meant to be that data in transit scenario. Yes. So it's a post box. It comes into the post box and when you when you clear the post box, you clear the post box and you leave it yes. empty and then you will throw your junk mail away and you open the important letters and you file them in your in your filing cabinet or in yes. your vault. If we go back to the diamond yes. analogy, you file them away into in a safe place. With email, what we tend to do is we tend to open this important information and we leave it in the mailbox. Yep. Which has generally got very low or less security. Yes. Uh, and when I think about that mailbox, pe- people might be thinking, yeah, but my 365 has got multi factor authentication, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. However, your 365 or your Outlook is a version or a copy of what's on your DNS or on your actual mailbox, which exists yes. on the internet. Yes. So, uh, you know, a mail server doesn't deliver your mail to your 365, it delivers it to your online version of your mailbox. Uh From that mailbox, your 365 uh, or whatever you're using, they're making assumptions around Microsoft or your phone or other things, pick up copies of that information. And so if it's not removed from your mailbox on the internet, then you're effectively opening your mail and you're leaving it in there and your clients are doing that as well. So if the clients are doing that and they've got copies of their tax returns, Yes. Uh, of their super statements, yes. of their statements of advice, yes. of all of those things inside or their, their self-managed super fund details all sitting inside uh, of their mailbox, which yes. has got low security on it. Yes. And somebody hacks into that client's mailbox wow. and says, oh, here's a whole lot of information. Here's a statement of advice saying we're going to roll some money from here to here.
0: Yes. In
1: our super environment, let's let's dive in at that one exact moment and try and trick them into paying us instead of the correct fund. Gosh. Let's... Let's move over here, and, and so people are getting, uh, you know, statements of advice. Uh, financial advisors are sending statements of advice to clients, and then the clients get an email from the fake financial advisor saying, "Oh, mm. here's the details to roll your money from here to here." Yes, they're doing that, and it's getting rolled into a hacker's account rather than into their new super fund that's been set up, whatever it might be. So, oh golly, um, that's that's where some of the some real issues are inside that email, and it could just be that the the hacker is in the client's email, but the problem for the for the for the advisor or for the for the accountant is it would never have been there if they weren't sending their diamonds through the mailbox
0: yes yes wow yeah. this might be a timely uh, point at which to ask you about uh, the retire invest case yep uh, so for those who aren't familiar with that uh, how did they end up in court and why did they end up having to pay? Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to ASIC following the case.
1: Yes, interesting case. Bit, bit of a landmark shot across the bow from the regulators. Um, yes, in this situation to to give businesses a bit of a shake up to say, hey, take this seriously. Yes. Um. Uh. And and I think a lot of work went into that. And and bear in mind that these this case went through before. Um, any of these major fines that we're hearing about, Optus and Medibank, for example. Yes. So the fines weren't um, in place at the time of the beginning of the court case, which took a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, in, in fairness, it was a, it was a long time in the process. So what happened with RI? They had a number of a, uh, attacks um, over a period of time, as I'm sure most licensees yep. have done, and they've got a register and they reported it. Uh, yep. They've done they did the right thing. Um, then, uh, then what they did was. Um, they, I think they must have got a notice from the regulator. I can't guarantee that because I don't know. I'm not. Yes. I'm not inside RI. But uh, the, they said, you know, have you, have you implemented processes where you've secured your, you know, this and made made some changes and and, and improved? Because one of the fundamental things around cyber is, if there's a problem, you need to fix it. You need yes. to mop it up, and then you need to improve on your systems yes. so that doesn't happen again. That's yes. like the whole concept of it, and so that's probably also why the regulators want us to all be talking about it, because yes. if something happens to a firm over here, then all the other firms should know that there is a, a threat yes. and improve their systems. Yes, and you know the tide, you know, rising tide. But. Um, what happened was uh, they said, oh, "Okay, we'll, well, we'll do an audit. We'll, we'll check it out." Um, uh, they audited their firms, and obviously, the, the, the audit report wasn't great. Because if you walk into a, any of your firms, if you probably did an audit of all your firms, you probably find some <laughs> find some things that nobody wants to talk about. Um, yeah. uh, and 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 that's you know, I would imagine, in any any large set of businesses, we're going to you know, find a lot of um, issues. Um, and so they did. They got the issues and ASIC. Sort of said, "Well, that's not good enough." Um, well you know, see, see you, uh, we'll see you in court, I guess. Yeah. Um, on the back of that, there was a, um, a court case that, uh, and now I just essentially went, yes, you're right. It's not good enough. We're going to improve. And so, uh, I think that the court case from there on was really just about the, you know, the legalities around it and around whether it was, or wasn't a core obligation of your licensees, um, obligation, the justice, um, uh, uh, came out and said it clearly was yeah. uh, systems and processes in place to, to, to look after safely secure clients' information is part of a or part of a licensee's obligation, yeah. uh, and made that quite clear that they want all AFSLs to have you know policies, plans, procedures, frameworks, strategies, guidelines, etc., in place, um, to safely protect consumers, which is the regulator's job, and, and, yeah. and you and absolutely, you can't blame them for that. Yeah. Um, the uh, the $750,000 <laughs> uh, in fine was essentially for the core costs,
0: yeah, wow,
1: yeah, so they could have actually ended up with additional fines in that scenario, should would. Should and without a court case, gone to uh, and any additional large licensees that might find themselves in that space, um, yeah, there's some pretty hefty fines available now. Uh,
0: I'll put a reference to the ASIC media release relating to that case in the show notes. Um, the media release makes mention of uh, brute force, which you've you've spoke, spoken about. Um, the media release also makes reference to following the advice of the Australian Cyber Security Centre. So what does this organisation do and and how come we've never heard about it? Yeah, the
1: ACSC. <laughs> so what happens with um obviously with uh you know we're used to being regulated by a lot of different regulators yes, right? Yes. And so um uh there's been there's been um the ACS is fairly new. I guess you could I say see. it's been around, but it, it, the regulators have all had different singing from different hymn sheets. If you go to yes. if you look at what's involved in the privacy principles, for example, there's yes. certain things and structures set out there. Um, we've had uh, we have a thing called the, um, the ASC uh, Australian Signals Directorate, which is essentially the government's spy agency or intelligence agency. Okay. Um, They've, they've had some things to say around cybersecurity. Obviously, yes. they see some things. Uh, we've got ASIC, we've got APRA, we've got all the you know the, yes. the other regulators as well talking about what, what we need to cover. Um, and so the ACSC is uh, the cyber.gov.au. Yes. And what it is, it's a publicly facing, uh, it's the agency that's basically saying, we'll take the lead in this. We're okay. going to give a lot of information and education. Yep. So if people are listening to this, jump on cyber.gov.au. Um, sign up for the newsletter, get the get the reports of what's available, have a look around. There's a lot of great resources on that website. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a great place to start. And so uh, ASIC, for example, and some of the other regulators want us to go to ACSE first and, yes. and be that. Um, so the Australian Cybersecurity Centre, um, there is a thing called the Essential Eight, which came out of the Australian Signals Directed, um, which is eight cybersecurity strategies That if you put those in place, that's a great start towards um, the security of the, and the technical side of, make this aware, the technical side of your setup. So um, things like um, making sure that you're patching all of your, you know, the patches that come through and the security patches that you use multi-factor authentication, that you're doing regular backups and a number of other things in these eight cybersecurity strategies. That you should be implementing now. Generally speaking, if you're on a high package with Microsoft, uh, you know, Business Premium or a, yes. one of the E3s or Fives, you can set these things up um, in that space. Uh, if you're not uh, to to automatically do automatically yes. update to one of the things as we talked about, admin privileges, for yes. example, um, making sure that all of your systems are set up where only the administrators that can make changes to security settings can. Uh, there and that, that everybody's not set up as an admin user, yes, because it's easier um, and those sorts of things. So yeah, cybersecurity is definitely one of those things that'll slow you down in those in this scenario. But it's about going, yes, we need to slow down because it's a safety feature for our clients' diamonds. Right. So yeah, the ACSC, great spot, uh, Australian Cyber Security Centre, uh, definitely um, definitely worth checking it out.
0: Great. Okay. Um, well, my coaching clients will be nodding when I when I say, say this, that I, I love a good framework. So uh, the eight, essential eight sounds good to yes. me. So just in
1: cybersecurity terms, the essential eight are cybersecurity strategies. Yes. Uh, they're not the framework. Okay. The framework is slightly different. Okay. <laughs> uh, that the regulators use the framework that the regulators use here um, and in most countries is the NIST framework. N I S T. National Institute of Ten- National Inst- Institute of Standards and Technology, yeah. uh, and there's five parts of that framework, which essentially is broken up into you know identifying what the issues are, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, being able to, to put proactively put things in place um to maybe be able to detect what they what you know to be able to have systems to to understand if somebody is being if we are getting attacked at the moment um then to be able to respond to those issues have a, have a, have a plan in place to respond and then have a recovery plan in place as well so i i think of those five steps that framework because we love a good framework yeah. uh as three steps you know before during and after an attack and if we can you know break those the before part into knowing what the risks are, which is pretty much what we're talking about today. Yes. Uh doing something about it yep. as the before. And that's the big chunk of work that's, you know, to yes. be done. Having a plan in place that if we do end up as one of the unfortunate few that are gonna have to notify our clients and notify yes. the regulators and do all those other things, that we can act quickly because yes. they've got a plan in place. Yes. And then a plan in place to recover, which is obviously things like, you know, making sure that you've got your backup sorted and your insurance yes. is in place and you can, yes. re- you can afford to spend the money on recovering and making good on the damage that's been done. And then you can move forward uh, after that, improving your systems, you know, helping others improve their systems, all those sort of things, the, the before, during and after plans.
0: I like that. So it makes so much sense. Um Okay. So what we might do is talk about responsibilities and obligations of directors and owners. Uh, so if we can't just sort of like fob this off and think like our IT support people all over, over this, um, what are the responsibilities and obligations of, of directors and owners of professional practices?
1: Oh, absolutely. And this this comes back down to some of the Corporations Act uh, conversation. Okay. It comes back down yeah. to uh, licensing obligations. Um, ASIC, Released in uh, November 2017, um, cybersecurity uh, a, a checklist around cybersecurity um, best practices. Okay, and there's about 11 different p- p- pieces to that uh, that guidance, and it was based on that framework we just talked about before, during, and after yep. things like training staff, things like directors having um, knowing what what they have set up actually knowing have you asked have you checked yes uh, directors understanding what the obligations are directors understanding what the, uh, the what the risks are so yes. the risk risk analysis around have you do you do you understand what could happen to the business to the business valuation to the trust of the clients to the staff to etc yeah. Et yeah do you know these things can you ask your it team quality questions yeah right yeah. are we are we safe yeah, good. Okay, good. It's not, it's not okay. <laughs> it's not enough. Uh, and that's generally what's happening because it's difficult for a director to understand the technical terms and how they work. Yep. Um, you know, is our email more of a, more of a registered post than a post, than a, uh, than a, um, you, you know, than a postcard. postcard, Yeah, yeah. Uh, is an interesting one, but that yeah. understanding that concept is, 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 is for the directors to know about. Um, Really important. So in that guideline that ASIC put out in 2017, and surely everyone's read it, right? Because they put it out in 2017. Obviously, yeah. so, <laughs> um, Everyone's across it. Um, yeah. uh, then, then you would understand. You could, you could turn around and go, oh, oh okay. Where are we at? In that the scenario, they obviously their their job is to regulate the Corporations Act, and as a corporate director or a director of the business, the directors are ultimately responsible. Um, and so this comes back down to board. Boards positions, for example, um, uh, being responsible for yeah. what doesn't doesn't get in, put in place. So you need to know about it. You need to actually put something in place about it, uh, and that responsibly all falls back on the on the directors and um, you know the boards of these businesses.
0: Wow, what about professional bodies, uh, for example? What does the FPA code of ethics have to say about cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, the, well, the the, uh, the the two parts. One is the code uh, does actually. Uh, there's there's a lot of parts that talk about how you store well not store but how you you know you deal with client information, yeah. uh, and so there is definitely with a privacy scenario there. Yes, on if you lose their information, you have actually breached some of the code, especially yeah. code number 12, 11 and twelve. So when we do a lot of these presentations, we sort of link them back to the code how that works because there's yeah. a, there is an interesting part. Of the code was definitely always being about how to how do we treat the client. Well, yes. the, the client information is an extension of the client, and makes so, sense. And so, if you're not treating their uh, storage of their data or the protection of their data or their diamonds, um, you are essentially not acting in the in the best of the client if you're not securing what they give you. So, yes. Um, so there, there's definitely a code issue. Um, there is from the from the from the um, associations' point of view. Um, uh, as we speak, there's merging going on and all sort of and, yes. and, and movement around there. But um, well within the financial advice space, there is anyway. Um, the the associations are, are putting out guidance, they put out guidelines. I know the yes. you know, the FPA is releasing some guidelines as well at the moment. But um, uh, sa- same as every all of the associations, it's very much around they they relying on 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 experts, uh, and a lot of the time, the uh, what I'm finding anyway is that the the experts will give you an expert analysis or, or a conversation or a technical detail that's un, not understandable yes. by all members of a business. Yes. Um, so if a tech person is talking about complex cybersecurity technology, mm-hmm. for example, um, uh, it tends to be glazed over by non-expert of the business. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I've um, come across is to try and work out that every single Human being inside of a business is responsible for cybersecurity, not just yes. the tech team, not just the yes. you know, the directors, etc. So it's about going. If every single member is responsible, because they're the ones that are given to be, as we mentioned, in front of the um, in front of the email, clicking on it because they're very hospitable and they want to be, yes. they want yes. to be helpful. Um, then it's about making sure that all of our staff are, are trained and up to speed and, and 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 care about it, and communicate with each other about it, and talk about it, and are yes. aware and keep it front of mind all the time. So, yeah.
0: Fraser, offline, we spoke about the folly of making assumptions uh, in this area. Uh, so could I ask you to comment on some of these assumptions? Uh, number one, and you've touched on this briefly already, my team members are competent, conscientious professionals. They know what to do to avoid bad things happening.
1: Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> uh, and uh, nobody is purposeful. Entering into a cyber, you know, scenario, yes. You're clicking on the wrong thing. No team member wants that. They're all, they're all can spot things if they're obvious. Yes, but if they're tired or they're busy or they're under yes. pressure or stress they see less of those yes. signals. And so, yes. um, you know, the the if a staff member is going great, I've, I'm just working within my means and I'm happy and I'm and I can stop and take time to look at every single email and make sure it's fine. Yes, but generally speaking. Uh, a lot of the time, there's there's moments or times when when team members are busy and they're under stress, and so when you're busy or under stress, it's the training that kicks in. Yes, right? and so we, we know that that's why we train and uh, we train yes. under pressure because um, we can, we can then operate under pressure. Yes, um, so. The assumptions are really interesting because, because you know, there's lots of assumptions around. You know, oh my, you know, I've got we've got some young people in our practice. They've got to be a wizard at, at, at security, right. and <laughs> at, at, right. they're a wizard IT. Yes. They might be a wizard making things work, but generally, and there's uh, there's been some surveys released about this that the the Gen Xers of the world are the actual the, the better at security because they've they've you know had some you know, issues or they've seen some things in the past. And so they're now more, more around that yes. protecting uh, baby boomers are more are scared a, a little bit of it. And so they're re- re- very protective, but the, um, uh, the millennials are the next ones, which are okay. But then the, they, the, the, the Gen Z um, uh, don't really care about security. They're just happy yeah. to put everything online and, and, yes. and, go and, and IT and make it work. So, um, don't make the assumption that the young person in the office knows everything yes. about security. I'm sure they know yes. a lot about IT, but there's yes. a difference between IT and security. So IT and, and big businesses will have an IT department yeah. and a security department. And cybersecurity comes into the security department. It's in the name, cybersecurity. You can work it out. IT makes it work. Cybersecurity stops it working. They're sort of opposite. The yin and the yang, they work together. Yes. And yes, there's an overlap, of course, yeah. but it's about making sure that things work but only just work. So you yes. think of it uh, a tap. Um, you know, you turn the tap on full, you're <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. But you turn the tap down to exactly what you need it to be. And that's what the security's job is to turn the tap back down again. Uh IT's job is to turn the tap up. Yeah. Make it work. Right. Um so so some of the assumptions that I see a lot are um I'm assuming that my X plan backs everything up. Yes. Uh, and 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 to my answer to that is great, but assumption's not going to win you anything in court. Yeah have you checked yes have you got the email that you checked they sent it back they told you what and you know what the backups are like yes do you back up your microsoft 365 accounts do you know that they're back do you know how they're backed up right? yes. because because the assumption of i've heard this one a lot oh it's in the cloud surely they back it up yeah, right? yeah. no they don't yeah uh, microsoft 365 essentially is an infrastructure platform think of it as a you know, a, a building in the city. Yes. A high rise building. It's the infrastructure. They provide the lifts. They provide the reception. They yes. provide the fire alarms. They provide the lighting. They provide the, the, the air conditioning, yes. uh, the bathrooms, whatever it might be. They provide all that for you to use. Yes. You are the tenant. Yes. In the building, you're also the tenant, a tenancy of Microsoft. So that's what you're yes. purchasing. you, store all your information and you use the facilities inside the building, that's fine. Uh, but if you let somebody into your business office, yes, and they burn it out, yes, or destroy it, yeah, because you've let them in, whether you know they've got in with a password yep. or whatever, it might be, then that information is destroyed. Yes. And you now, they, Microsoft will give you a new tenancy the next yeah. day happily, <laughs> but you have to fit it out. Yes, right? yes, with your information and your supply So, so, so backing up your three six five and those sorts of things is important. But you need to can't make the assumption that somebody else is doing it. You need to know that, that those those things take place. So lots of assumptions, um, yeah. and we know what that you know. Yeah. Just the word assumption just makes us all go.
0: Ooh. Yes, yeah. yes. No, you make make some good points. Um, And what about if something happens, my IT guys will be all over it?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, And again, IT guys are are generally, as I said, the the job of an IT person is to make something work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And generally speaking, they will say, what do you want? I want this to work. And I go, great, I can make that work. And they make it work. They're the hero. Excellent. Uh, As I said, turning the tap on. How good is that? Lots of water running (laughs) through the tap. How good are we? Um, And so... The answer is, is 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 it depends on the IT person because every single person is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but understanding and talking to them from a cyber lens and talking to them at what's in place and how it works, I think it's 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 again it's, it's an assumption thing. You need to to know how that works. Um, there will be specialist security IT people that do forensic. Um, you know, you think of a forensic accounting, for example, it's yes. the same thing, forensic IT, which will go in and look for what happened and how it happened. Yes. They're very specialist and very expensive people. So I'm pretty pretty sure that most, uh, you know, small business financial services and, and accounting firms and professional service firms aren't paying that yes. sort of money for their IT person. They're getting something yeah. that's making it work. Um, so, yeah, it's about... Yes, you need IT people and you need to have a healthy relationship with your IT so that they they can come in. A lot of people then, you know, have ongoing managed service, exact, you know, those sorts of things where they've got yes. somebody uh, around all the time. Um, whether you've got that or whether you've got somebody who is just can respond quickly to your your needs and you have a good relationship with them. I think it's important to make sure that you can, you've got somebody that's close and on call yep. in that
0: space. Good. Okay. Um, now. There seem to be sort of a number of issues to do with team members that uh, might arise. Uh, so, for example, we might have had like a brilliant uh, IT cyber sort of training session a couple of months ago, but the person who's starting next week, well, they weren't there. So, so how how do we actually sort of make sure that, that all members of the team are, are sort of continually across these issues? Yeah,
1: and, and you're absolutely right. And just on team members, there's if if you think of the bell. Curve of team members. I've heard a scenario that the two the two outliers at each end, and the highest levels of risk is the new team member at one end, yes, uh, and the CEO at the other. So, because <laughs> <laughs> CEOs think, ah, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, I, no, yeah. no one's going to keep me accountable on that, so I'm okay. So, so yeah, the, the that's that's where the bell curve is. Yes, Look, um, training is one of those things that it's really about ongoing awareness and yes. and the culture within the business. Yes. So, you know, doing all your training in January or, or, you know, doing all your CPD at one part of the oh, year. <laughs> uh, Never. Is, is um, you know, cramming it all in and getting the points and, and, and it done <laughs> or cramming it in at the end. Um, it's about ongoing. And so what, you know, a lot of large businesses – you know, we sort of follow in the footsteps of what large businesses do. They yes. they do ongoing cyberware training. They do phishing yes. campaigns. They do which is vulnerability testing of yes. the staff. Um, some of the legislation actually talks about vulnerability testing. So okay. small businesses find it very difficult to find that. So uh, one of the you know blowing our own trumpet here, but one of the one of the programs that we offer to small businesses what large business would use yes. in that scenario. So ongoing, regular. Awareness training, yes, uh, fortnightly, ten minutes a fortnight type wow. thing, okay. Rather than you know a full day once a year, yes, um, over different topics. So one topic at a time. You know, we're talking yep. about public Wi-Fi today. We're talking about home internet use. We're talking about yes, just, just small, small uh, snippets, so that the staff can become cyber aware, have awareness conversations. Um, if they're talking to their clients, they can recall these these the small amounts of training that come up to talk about the client safety, for example. Um, but having those, you know, drip-fed content yes. around awareness training and and short, easy bursts of, yes. of information, yep. so that it's not onerous um, yes. and and doesn't take up a lot of time. Yeah, but still able to be. Um, I it, think it's, it's a really important part of the culture of the business, to, to so that every single human in the business, they're essentially your army on the front line. Yes, uh, and and as we talked about before. Are the main reasons how people get into your system through through staff, through emails, through communication means. That's the variable factor. Like you know, the 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 variable factor in a business is the staff and the communication that takes place. Yes. Um, often security settings are set up, and once they're set up well, they're set up and they're not set and forget, but they are set fairly yes. well. Yes. Um, and that you know that's one part of the process. But the staff and the movement of the staff and the communications is is the variable in the business and, and where most of the risks are for small business.
0: Wow. Um, so perhaps you might like to enlighten the listeners. Uh, who is the Cyber Collective? Uh, what does it do and what's your role in it?
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, so the Cyber Collective is uh, essentially we, we work with professional services firms. Um, uh, financial professionals, and you know, accountants, mortgage brokers, financial advisors, anybody who's storing really valuable, important information, yes. and predominantly small businesses, small to yes. medium sized practices, and we we help them with uh, with the education and training. We help them with bringing a, a cyber uplift project. So we basically go through all the different areas, as we mentioned, email and this, that, and the other. How do you uplift that? We get it to yes. a point, uh, and then we then we provide them with the order at the, at the back end of that, and so. Instead of starting with an audit and saying, "Here are all the things that uh, you need to to um, to do," here is your your yeah. audit on file yeah. as a bad audit, and that's a yeah. that's a typical process of a lot of yes. businesses. You'll go through a needs analysis. You'll say, "Here are all the issues. Let Erk. me fix yep. those issues. Let me do another <laughs> needs analysis." There, there, or an audit, and here is that. Here is the great results. I can show you that I've taken you from A to B. Um, I don't necessarily want our businesses to have a bad audit on file. Yes. Because if they've got a bad audit on file, the Probably. regulator could always walk in and say, can we have a look at the bad audit? Yes. Um, so, you know, I you know, I just want to I just want to quickly as possible bring bring their uplift their processes and what they might be, uh, do the audit and then be able them to be able to say and demonstrate they've taken reasonable steps um, in protecting their client data. Uh, and their client diamonds um, yes. and making sure that they can uh, then from the next step from there move on to the process of o- ongoing education, obviously for their staff, yep. but then to, you know, talk to their clients about how they protect their diamonds and then have a pro- proactive client conversations around that. Yep. Maybe at the annual review or, or, or they might do webinars or we're working with some businesses that do webinars to their their clients around what their, their processes are. So they might have a secure client portal that they use, for example, a particular software or a tool and I'll just be talking about how they use this uh this secure transfer process yes. to secure their clients diamonds yes uh, and having those sorts of conversations so so clients have that that a little bit of additional peace of mind that I'm too afraid to ask my accountant or my advisor yes. um, if they're looking after my data, yes. but I assume they are, and I yeah. really, really hope they are. But if the if the financial professionals are having those conversations back, yes, oh, we just recently passed our audit with flying colours. Yes. oh, it, it allows those um, those clients to go, oh, that's that's great. I I might refer my friends to this firm um, because that's the, they really they really care about my they call it my diamonds you know like those, yes, those yes. sorts of things it's quite emotional so so yeah that's that's our process and and we we have a website obviously the cybercollective.com.au yes uh, and we have a process where we can help people with all sorts whether it's um uh, you know putting them in the right direction with their insurances whether it's um uh, you know, helping them with their, their, their technical setups and processes, working with their IT teams. Our job is not to step on the toes of IT teams. It's to come in and work with them and encourage the relationship that yes. people already have with their IT. We're not there to replace anybody. And yes. of course, an IT firm says, oh, the cyber collectors and, uh, you know, are they going to throw out all we've got and start yes. again? And we're like, no, we're not here to make okay. you look bad. We're just here to help you and yes. uh, and, and get everything up to speed. Um, so yeah, we that's, that's how we work. We tend to, um, Work, as I said, with small business professionals, and
0: great kind of okay. they need, yeah, all right well, of the two people on this conversation, I think people could pretty quickly work out who's the expert in this area, so I'll put in uh contact details uh in the show notes as to how people can get hold of you um so for those who have sort of been listening to this, and sort of a nervous uh bead of sweat has broken out on the brow um. How, how, how long does it take to get from sort of like, you know, sort of a poor state of preparedness to sort of feeling like, yep, well, we've, we've, we've really got, got it. Are we talking weeks, months? Uh, what's, what's it take? Uh, the answer is always it depends.
1: Uh, yes. It, um, generally speaking, it could be, you know, a few weeks. Uh, it okay. could be a few months yes. and that just comes back down to how, uh, willing and quickly, um, firms want to implement things and put them in place. So, um, sometimes, uh, sometimes, yeah, it, it, just, it, it, all depends on the, on the appetite of the firm. Yep. Uh, and, but if you want to do things quickly, there is about, you know, eight or 10 things we really need to sort of bring up. And, and yes. some of those things will probably already be at the level that you need them to be at. Yes. Other things will need an uplift in, in them. Sure, uh, and it just it depends on which which areas need an uplift. We don't know that until we, we get course. in and, and 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 have a chat about where everything is. But um, but uh, you know our processes, we we don't we just have a, a capped fee for that. We don't go and doesn't really matter what the issues are. We'll just we'll just uplift them all. Yes, uh, make sure they're all at a level. Um,
0: yeah, Fraser, that has just been marvellous and and highly enlightening. And I, I I think what you've been able to do with your analogies is to make it sort of something that we can all grasp uh, and uh, at the same time understand the importance. So so thanks very much for that. Okay. Um, that's been really helpful. Uh, but before we let you go, uh, we do finish off this particular podcast with the rapid fire dozen. Okay. Uh, so the, 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 the rules are uh, five seconds uh, per question. If you can manage that question one, Apple or Android phone, Apple, Question
1: two: is that, is that a security
0: risk?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you you might be you the judge. To somebody, yeah, got blue or green.
0: Question two: A cyber attack going to be like Y two K, and that one day we'll wake up and the problem will have gone away. No. Okay. <laughs> what reaction do you get when someone like your elderly aunt or the receptionist at your dentist asks what you do, and you say, "I'm a cyber security expert"?
1: Uh, they generally freak out. They're like, oh, are you going to hack me? No, I'm not going to hack you. No, I just there (laughs) to help.
0: True or false, your family think that your home-based cybersecurity precautions are totally over the top?
1: Yes, people think that um, uh, I'm a lunatic.
0: There's no doubt. (laughs) If you weren't such a great great cybersecurity expert, what other career path would you choose?
1: Uh, My career path has been uh, hospitality, chef, uh, creative in that space through to uh, financial advisor, uh, through to uh, IT, working in IT, uh, yeah. and, and now into security. So uh, I guess um,
0: who, knows? who knows? Who knows? Okay. It could be. Would you accept payment in Bitcoin? No. <laughs> Complete the following sentence using the same password for multiple applications is crazy. Okay. <laughs> On a scale of one, teenage hackers making mischief, and ten, serious criminals looking for financial gain, where would you rank most cyber attacks on professional service firms?
1: Uh, Probably about a six.
0: Okay. In your opinion, what's more important, attending to the compliance P's and Q's on an SOA or being across the FPA's Code of Ethics dealing with cybersecurity? Oh,
1: good question. Uh, Very hard. Uh, It it always depends. Maybe, in my opinion, I'm the cyber guy. I would say cyber. Uh, Yeah, just um, Okay, run Run with that.
0: Does anything good happen on the dark web or is it totally evil?
1: Uh, I think it's called dark for a very good reason. (laughs) And it gets uh, deeper and darker.
0: Other than In the Slipstream FM, what's your favourite podcast?
1: Uh, I um oh gosh favorite podcast i'm i'm loving some of the podcasts that financial advisors and professionals are putting out yes um and the reason being is because they put them out for their their clients yes um and so they're just you know they're just talking um what was the one i saw the other day anyway i think they're just they're just being really helpful and so to me uh, a, a good a good podcast is a podcast that is helpful to you to you and your business so to me, if it's not helpful, then they're not making good, helpful points, then there's no
0: point. If there's no point, there's no point. Thanks very much for being such a, a wonderful guest on In The Slipstream FM. It was a long, long time ago, a long, long time, a
1: long, long time ago, life was fast, slow.
0: Well, that concludes my interview with Fraser Jack from The Cyber Collective. Doubtless because he lives and breathes this stuff, Fraser's expertise in cybersecurity shone throughout the discussion. I really liked how Fraser explained what could otherwise have been overtly technical in everyday terms and concepts. The particular risks associated with email and the other documents which are often attached to those emails were important, along with his tips on passwords. Long and strong. <laughs> I was also impressed with his diamond analogy, referring to the care which should be taken with the data of one's clients. During the discussion, Fraser discussed the healthy tension that should exist between one's IT support company, whose role it is to turn the tap on with all sorts of features and access, and one's cybersecurity team, whose role is to protect you by dialing some of that stuff back. I liked how Fraser explained that when it comes to cybersecurity, every team member is responsible. However, this can only be the case where there is regular, ongoing training to prompt awareness, along with regular testing of the systems, all along the lines of what Fraser recommended. In short, I hope that this interview has prompted you to re-examine what you're doing in this area to reduce your risk of a cyber breach. I've put contact details of Fraser in the accompanying show notes. You'll find that he's readily contactable through both the Cyber Collective's website and via LinkedIn. There are also several useful resources and references that Fraser mentioned during the interview, which I've dutifully (laughs) included in the accompanying show notes. Without doubt, this is the beefiest set of show notes that I've ever compiled. In the second part of today's episode, I'd like to share some of my thoughts and experiences about achieving business and personal goals. In particular, I've had a breakthrough in recent years that I have found very effective, which I hope you'll find valuable too. The good news is that it costs nothing to implement and doesn't require any particular skills or knowledge, just one tiny weekly habit to introduce and then stick to. The background is my personal experience of the disconnect between annual goals and daily activities. Now there wouldn't be many who tackle the annual goal setting and New Year's resolutions with as much enthusiasm as me. I love applying dashes of colourful paint to a blank canvas. And over the years there's been lots of wouldn't that be great objectives that have been set The trouble is, though, that once the Christmas break is over and I get back to work, it's seemingly inevitable to get caught up in the daily hustle and bustle, meaning that the exciting annual goals are quietly forgotten. And I'm sure I'm not alone. In fact, I doubt there would be many people who could even remember their annual goals by mid-February, let alone be conscientiously taking regular steps to accomplish them. Now, here at Slipstream, with the businesses we work with in our ongoing coaching program, we have a quarterly rhythm which ensures that 90-day goals are created, implemented and achieved with a healthy incentive to do so in the form of reporting back to a peer group in terms of the outcomes. And it's amazing what can be accomplished over a string of successive quarters as these projects are completed. All that's well and good, but what about one's personal objectives? Now, from a business perspective, you'll have a portfolio of responsibilities that need to get top of mind. Perhaps it's to grow your client base or roll out a new service over the course of a year. Possibly there will be responsibilities in terms of recruiting or developing team members, whilst at the same time keeping technically up to date in your field. Over and above this, there'll be shorter-term projects for which you're responsible for implementation. So you get the general idea. Lots of balls in the air, but if you're not careful, these can get quietly neglected. From a personal perspective, it's much the same. Being a loving and considerate partner, a parent who is engaged and present, together with maintaining a house and garden could all form part of your ongoing portfolio. Then there'll be other projects that come and go, such as organising a holiday, get-togethers with the extended family, and perhaps a fun-run event to prepare for. Enter the weekly plan as a means of bringing all this together. Now, in a sense, there's nothing new here. I remember reading about weekly planning maybe about 20 years ago in Stephen Covey's formidable work, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People where he advocated sitting down on a Sunday night and planning the week ahead. Man, who wants to ruin their Sunday night by doing that, was my conclusion at the time. And now, well, I think he was on to (laughs) something. The reason for saying this is it is my third successive year of submitting to this discipline, and it's been remarkable the difference that this has made. Now, mind you, I still avoid doing this on a Sunday night, Just at some stage, I take 30 minutes over the course of the weekend to review the past week and plan the week ahead. So, how to actually do this? The system that I follow these days is a straightforward template that I've developed in Excel with headings that are important to me. Each week, I print out the template and fill it out manually, whereupon it is kept in a ring binder left open on my study desk at home. Doubtless, I dare <laughs> say, you could do something similar. In the weekly plan template, I've included headings for all business and personal areas that are important to me, along with prompters in terms of potential actions and activities that could be taken in any given week. The benefit of the template is that it ensures that all the bases are covered and that areas that have been neglected for, say, a few weeks have to be considered. It sure keeps me honest. What I've noticed is that little steps taken weekly start to accumulate into momentum and that this all gets reinforced every seven days when I review the template. During the week, I'll tick off what's been accomplished and consider what needs to be included, be it business or personal, in the next day's daily to-do list. I could go on, but hopefully you get the general idea. The weekly review and planning rhythm has been really helpful to me and hopefully may prove to be a benefit to you. (laughs) Now, if you decide to implement this and better yet, have success with it, I'd love to hear your story. That's the end of our show today. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you got lots out of it. There's plenty more interesting interviews that I've got lined up, so make sure you've subscribed to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or Spotify to have this coming through on your mobile device automatically. Music for this episode is once again brought to us by Tim Lane. Thanks, Tim. Until the next episode, onwards and upwards. We all have these choices about what we're going to do. The simple fact is
1: it's always up to you. It was a long time.